0: Okay, we are going to go ahead and start. I'm going to start with prayer, but welcome back. We are looking at season two, episode two of The Chosen, which is entitled I Saw You. And this episode sees an introduction of not just one new apostle, but two new apostles. So let's jump in as always, throw in the chat any questions, comments, feedback that's one thing I'm going to do at every live is have kind of a question at the beginning to kind of prompt some discussion because I really love to hear your feedback. So we'll do that every time. So, um, okay. I am going to pray and then we'll jump into the episode in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. All glory be to the father and to the son and to the Holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Amen. Saints Lazarus, Martha, and Mary pray for us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just on a kind of fun, um, you know, Catholic note. um, And again, I know we have some non-Catholic listeners and I welcome our non-Catholic listeners. This is really a reflection on the chosen from a Catholic point of view, um, but I know I have non-Catholic listeners and I love that um, people are watching and listening who might not be Catholic. And um, just a little note today is the Feast of Saints Lazarus. Martha and Mary. Pope Francis enlarged, kind of in a way, the Feast of St. Martha. Traditionally, it was always the feast. We remembered Lazarus on the liturgical calendar, um, and his feast has fallen away. So so, uh, Pope Francis kind of merged everybody together, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, on this day. Um, And it's a really great day. Um, The scripture scholars are kind of Um, conflicted about whether Mary Magdalene was Mary of Bethany and some people are saying this solves the problem that Francis has declared that Mary of Bethany is not Mary Magdalene. Um, This is not an infallible statement from the Pope. If you want to believe Mary of Bethany is Mary Magdalene you can continue to believe that and we'll all find out in heaven um, how many Marys we're dealing with in Scripture. But that's not the topic today. The topic today is Nathaniel. Um, I'm seeing Bill, Bill, you commented, the actor's so great I bet Peter changes over time a lot. And um, I, I will take this little kind of, because um, we are talking about Peter in the comments. Um, you know, one thing, and I said this to my mom today, I think one thing I love about Peter is that we are going to see that character development. We know where Peter ends up. Um, we can argue about how Peter was when he was called, but we know he wasn't perfect, and we know he had his, his flaws and i love that we're going to see that development it's a good reminder to us that christ um and that comes up in in episode three but that christ didn't call the perfect he didn't wait till we were perfect to come he came because we weren't perfect and so i love that idea that we know that peter is going to change i saw an interview with the actor who plays peter and someone asked him like is it hard for you to play peter when you're not catholic and you're playing the first pope And he said, that's not how I view Peter right now, because that's not who Peter is right now. Right? When Christ called him, he wasn't the first pope. He was a sinful man who would eventually deny Christ. And so to understand that Peter's going to do some dramatic changing, um, and we see hints of that already, hints that Christ wants him to be better. Christ is calling him to be better as he's calling all of us to be better. He calls us at a certain point. He loves us the way we are. But he wants us to be better right so he doesn't he doesn't say i'm only going to love you when you're perfect he loves us the entire time but he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay where we are right he wants to call us to conversion and wants to call us to something greater um and so so i love peter but i know that he probably gets on everyone's nerves um so christina is um talking about the snow covered mountains which i have a, a problem with i'm gonna have a problem with it in this episode as well um and is there a snow-covered mountain near caesarea philippi um you might be thinking of mount hermon which is um up in lebanon um and so we're actually going to talk about geography right now so this is a good segue um we have the opening scene and again we have to kind of get used to not knowing what's going on right um in the opening scenes And we talked about this last time, but I love the fact that they kind of just respect us enough to be like, we're not going to spoon feed you and you're going to figure this out eventually, right? So we don't know who this is. We don't know what's going on. We know that he's not in a Jewish town. It's apparent that he's a Jew living amongst non-Jews. And we will eventually find out that this is Nathaniel and that he is in Caesarea Philippi. Um, We don't know that at this point um, yet. Like We have to figure that out in this um conversation i'm going to wait and i'm going to talk about nathaniel at the end so we are not going to do a scene by scene by scene recap in this in this discussion i'm going to wait and talk about nathaniel entirely at the end Um, we are going to start talking about philip but before we jump into that i do want to do some geography and we're going to make we're going to see if this works i'm hoping this works um okay so hopefully you can all see this map um I don't know what that really looks like for you, but hopefully you can see the map. And hopefully you can see um, my pointer. So they're talking that they're in the Bashan. That's that's mentioned a few times that they're in Bashan. Bashan is the northernmost of the three ancient divisions of eastern Palestine. And so they're walking up here. Um, They're going along here. We have Bethsaida. That's where Philip's going to be, that's where Philip, Andrew, and Peter are from. Um, But we have, they're walking up here. And so we have up here is Syria, right? You see Damascus, and there's Caesarea Philippi. They're headed there, right? And that's where we know Nathaniel is. So that's just to kind of give you an idea. Um, so they're back north. We saw them in Sicar, um, we saw them in Samaria, and now we have them in Bashan, okay? Um, and so you see here, this is where most of Jesus's ministry is gonna be. Tiberius, um, Capernaum's gonna be around here, Magdala's around here um, and then Tiberius. Okay, so hopefully you saw that. Hopefully that came through. Um, I'm gonna get rid of this. No, I'm not gonna get rid of this. Can you all see that? Hopefully you all saw it. Okay, um, thank you for telling me it worked. Okay, so there's a little map just to kind of get your geography down, um, so that you can see, um, what was going on. I'm gonna minimize that now. Um, okay, um, so, that's where they are so it we're not following john perfectly and that's going to get kind of confusing here so we're not following the gospel of john because the call of nathaniel is actually john 1. Nathaniel's called before the wedding feast at cana and so we're just gonna kind of have to go with it they have to try to merge the synoptic gospels with john and so it seemed like at the end of season one they were going to jerusalem Um, I need to rewatch it. I don't know whether Jesus actually says that or whether the Apostles assume it because they're walking south Uh, But remember they're walking south and they want to go through Jordan and he's taking them to Samaria Um, In scripture at this point, he's already been to um, Jerusalem for his first Passover Um, just after the wedding feast of cana he goes for his first passover Um, and then he stopped in samaria on his way back north but we're not following john perfectly so we just have to kind of stick with it here so but here in the chosen they are now traveling through the Bashan, right they mention it um when they're like who's this dude philip walking you know by himself um, and so they're basically up at the Golan Heights, okay? So if you think of modern day um, occupied Syria, modern day Israel Israel occupies the Golan Heights, which is like the south part of Syria. Okay, so let's talk about Philip. Um, I honestly don't know why they set it up that Philip and Peter don't know each other. Um, I think that's kind of strange. They're all from Bethsaida, um, so Philip, Andrew, it says very particularly in scripture that Philip is from Bethsaida, the town of Peter and Andrew. So Peter and Andrew were in Bethsaida. At some point they went to Capernaum. There's some thought that maybe they moved their fishing to Capernaum because there would have been taxes that they would have had to pay if they would have taken market to Magdala to go between the the, the provinces of Philip and Herod. And um, We don't know why they went to Capernaum, but at one point they settled in Capernaum, and that's what they consider their home base during the scriptures. But they're from Bethsaida. Um, now, there's a few different places if we look at archeologically what um who where bethsaida is there's a few different places today that we don't exactly know what Bethsaida was. There's a few different places that archaeologists say this was Bethsaida. Um, and it, they weren't small towns. One of them during Jesus's lifetime actually was raised to a city um, and had about 15,000 inhabitants. But we we do know about Bethsaida at this time is that it was largely Hellenistic. It's under um, kind of Greek, there's a there's a, a heavy Hellenistic Greek culture there. Um, and this explains why in, in John 20, sorry, in John 12, 21, The Greeks seek out philip right the greeks want to see jesus in john 12 and they go to philip um so this explains it right philip would have known greek he was from bethsaida um he had a a greek name philip um so i don't i don't know i mean bethsaida was a big town it seems like if it was hellenistic the jews would have kind of known each other it seems to me that if philip and john know each other from bethsaida why wouldn't peter know john or why wouldn't peter know philip so Peter and Andrew, sorry. If Peter, if Andrew and Philip know each other, why wouldn't Peter know Philip? Um, now, I think it's probably just character development to show that Simon is the one who's going to be protecting um, Jesus. That Simon's suspicious. That jo- Simon's already, um, you know, already very protective and wants to keep, you know, keep Jesus safe. Which is ironic when we know what happens during the Passion, right? Um, But So I think it's just character development, and the important thing when we watch The Chosen is to remember that this is not scripture. Dallas is not attempting to say word for word what's in scripture, and he wants us to go to scripture, he wants us to read scripture, it should always be impelling us to scripture so basically in character development especially you're going to agree with some things and you're going to disagree with others and that's okay that's a good thing to kind of keep in mind during season two you aren't going to you're not going to agree with every portrayal of the apostles you're not going to necessarily agree with the portrayal of the events or of jesus um and so I think that's okay that this was obviously done for for um character development um it keeps the storyline Bill just pointed out it keeps the storyline of Simon being like well Andrew has no friends right um and so now Andrew's like well I do right so it, it kind of keeps the storyline of Philip of of Andrew and Peter together um so I think it's just done for character development but it in the same way it kind of bothered me um the the same thing with this um the discussion i think about the wood right so if you remember matthew went to go get wood he went to the wrong place he went to get wet wood he looked in the wrong place and philip then um you know philip starts to quote ezekiel and the quote that he is is ezekiel 39 9 which is a prophecy um against gog which wasn't actually a real place but it's this prophetic thing of of the lord um bringing peace and so some people say it's a messianic prophecy it's a it's a prophecy really um, of of a time of peace when there's no need for weapons you could burn the weapons because we don't have any need for weapons because it's a time of peace so all the apostles start to quote ezekiel 39 9. again i think this is character development in that idea that like matthew doesn't know what they're talking about all the the good jewish boys know right it reminds us of how much scripture the average Jew would just have memorized, right? That's important to remember. Um, We don't have practically any scripture memorized. We don't have anything memorized. Our memories stink, and at that point, they would have had amazing memories and would have whole books of the bible memorized probably right um we see this when when christ quotes a psalm from the from the cross he's not just quoting the psalm he's referencing the entire psalm and everybody would have known it right so they had massive amounts of scripture memorized and so i think the whole discussion about the wood again it's character development it increases the division between matthew and the others and um it's a it's a reminder to us of this time of peace that they're all waiting for so we know that philip was a philip is portrayed as this follower of john the baptist right john the baptist has sent him now to follow christ um and so we have yet kind of another leader right now again character development do we know this about philip no but he's kind of portrayed as this leader that peter's going to be jealous of right um and he befriends matthew And I think the discussion between Philip and Matthew is really important. And when we we talked about favorite lines beforehand, before we started, a lot of your favorite lines came from this discussion. Um, You know, I think in some ways we can see ourselves in Matthew's position of kind of being overwhelmed sometimes by the call, being overwhelmed by being chosen and not really knowing what God wants us to do, not really knowing what it means. Um, And sometimes we have the confidence of Philip and we help others um, in that call. We help others know, you know, it's okay not to have all the answers. And so I think there's a lot in both of these men that we can, we can relate to. I love, he says, once you've met the Messiah, am is all that matters, right? So Matthew's thinking about his past. He realizes that they don't accept him because of his past. And Philip is like, the past doesn't matter. What you are now matters. And there's so many, so often we don't remember that for ourselves. We don't remember that for others. We, we like to judge people by their past. We like to hold people, almost um, hold people in ransom to their past, right? Well, you've done that. I know you've done that. You can never change. And again, that's what I love about the character of Peter. We're going to see Peter change. And that's going to be a beautiful thing, right? Um, you know, the people, Philip says, like, the people out there want to define us by our past. The people out there want to define us by our sins. That's not how Christ defines us. And I think that's important for us to, to remember that, to remember that Christ doesn't define us by our sins. Now, there's also the idea that we need to repent of them. And we'll see this, especially in the next episode, where we have to remember that Matthew's never apologized for what he's done. And while we're not defined by our past, and Christ doesn't define us by our sins, we do need to acknowledge that. We do need to acknowledge our sins and be sorry for them, and that's going to come to a head in the next episode. So I don't think we we can forget about that either. Um, my mom asked, why do you think Jesus said Philip would be his most experienced follower? So later when Philip and, and, and Jesus are talking, um, I think he says that because he followed John. So this idea that the Dallas has, has had that he's been a, a, a follower of John the Baptist and now um, he's used to living it right he's used to roughing it he's used to not eating he's used to this like the wild ways of John and some of that's gonna come into hand come in handy when you compare it to these guys who don't know what they're doing um, and so I think it's because he's portrayed as this follower of John the Baptist Christina says, I've been reflecting lately that being able to grow and change truly is a Christian concept. It really is, that that metanoia, that repentance, that change, but we have to allow others to change and we have to allow ourselves to change. Sometimes it's hardest to let ourselves change. Um, Another disagreement I have with the character development is that Matthew doesn't know prophecy and that Matthew dropped out of Hebrew school um, or skipped ahead of Hebrew school. I think that seems odd coming from the man who wrote the gospel for the Jews. So Matthew's gospel is the gospel of prophecy and fulfillment. He quotes Jewish prophecy more than any other evangelist. He seems to know Jewish prophecy better than any of the other three. Um, And it just seems like an odd detail to me. It doesn't seem to make sense. Now, perhaps that's what they're setting up. That Matthew is going to be studying the prophecy. I don't know how he's going to study the prophecy when he's not near a synagogue, but that's okay. Um, I don't, maybe they're going to say, like, well, he's studying the scrolls, he's studying the prophecy, and so he will see most clearly the fulfillment of them because he's studying them. I don't know. But when I first saw that scene, I just thought it doesn't ring, it doesn't make sense based on who Matthew will become that he is completely unfamiliar with. Um, the prophecies and with the the Jewish scriptures. So that's just a personal kind of thought. Um, Matthew is getting frustrated. A lot of you have have pointed out the circle that he draws, right? That he draws that circle and he sees himself outside the circle. And um, I know a lot of people who have autistic children, autistic siblings, are relating really, really closely with Matthew because Matthew is um, really well portrayed this idea of being the outsider. Um, and so that idea that um, everyone's speaking in riddles, I love when he says that. like it seems like everyone's speaking in riddles and you know, there's this these images. and I think some of that will be that he asks the Lord the most questions, right? He wants all these things explained. Um, and um, but when he said that, when he said like, Everyone speaking in riddles, I think that's a good reminder to us that sometimes we need to use poetry and sometimes we just need to speak, right? Sometimes we just need to say it Um, and I think sometimes we tell people about the gospel and we get tied up in lingo of the church or church speak and sometimes we just have to tell people things straight and I think I've noticed this. I mean, I've taught now in the church for 13 years, and I soon realized I was using these words that were familiar to me, but that the average Catholic, much less the average unevangelized person on the street, had no idea what I was talking about. And it's become really a pet peeve of mine that when we we use this church speak, um, and then we expect people to fall in love with the gospel, but we're clouding it with riddles, right? We're clouding it with this church lingo. Um, I always get angry when when church websites say like interested in rcia the average person clicking on your website to become catholic has no idea what rcia is right? There are are Catholics in your pews that don't know what RCIA is. Have a button that says, are you interested in becoming Catholic, right? Sometimes we just need to to speak the, the same language that everyone out there speaks, right? And we can get so tied up in our church speak that we don't even realize we're not actually communicating the gospel. We're not actually preaching the gospel because they don't understand what we're saying. Um, I love the, the part where Matthew says, I don't know why I've been chosen, and Philip reassures him, right? And some people mention that in the quotes, right? That just have confidence that Christ called you. He knew what he was doing. Your confidence comes from that, not what you know. Um, although I think, and I'm seeing in the comments, Matthew is the brain, right? Like Matthew is going to develop, and Matthew is going to... Um, we're going to see a lot of development with Matthew. He's going to be a sponge, right, for for this, for this gospel. But he doesn't know right now why he's been chosen. And Philip says, you have everything you need, right? Stop trying to figure it out. And I love that. Like so often we want to know the plan and we want to figure everything out. And Philip is telling Matthew, like, just be, just be who you are. Be who you are now and absorb and learn and and be a good disciple, right? We're called to be disciples. That means to follow. Stop trying to figure everything out and just follow. Um, There is a line I don't particularly like. Philip kind of throws this line, Jesus doesn't love everything about religion. And um, I know what he's trying to say, right? Um, Jesus obviously has lots of criticism for the scribes and the Pharisees. He has criticism for the practice of the law without the spirit of the law. I mean we're gonna see him call the Pharisees and scribes whitewashed tombs, right? but I think it's a bit of a sloppy trope, um, just to kind of have this line that Jesus doesn't love everything about religion. I just think it's a bit simplistic that, um, is that like, I don't know. I just thought it came off a little hollow. Um, it was a little simplistic for me, but it's not as bad as the worst line in the entire series. So here we go. Um, so I teased on Instagram and Facebook that this 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 episode had my least favorite line of not the season but the entire series and it's minor some people have been trying to guess it and it's minor but it was the joke It was Philip's joke to Matthew um, about corn about the corny joke um, Now I understand the purpose of it we were supposed to see that Matthew doesn't think that way right Matthew doesn't get it Philips trying to trying really hard but pick any other joke the reason i have a problem with it is that corn there was no corn corn is from mexico corn is a new world food corn was in mexico it was domesticated nine thousand years ago it didn't come over to europe until the european settlers brought it back to europe and so i mean it spread to south america but there's no corn in the middle east there's no corn in the middle east and so the reason it annoyed me was number one i feel like that should be known right um there's a reason that we talk about may's the first thanksgiving right i feel like that should be a known fact and to me it smacks of this anachronistic lack of research that i don't think fits the chosen because i think they've done a really great job doing their homework and to me this is one of those lines that kind of erases a lot of the homework they've done especially in a skeptical mind and um as i was researching this and looking into it wondering okay are you just taking this out of con like are you just getting annoyed about something ridiculous right are you you just need to get over it i actually found a website that says the, the the bible isn't true because it's not historically accurate and they reference corn being mentioned? Well, it's mentioned in the King James Version of scriptures, the, the King James translation. We also, those of you who pray um, the prayer of the church, the divine office, the liturgy, of the hours, you'll be familiar with the abundance of corn and new wine. We pray it in Compline every week. It really is grain and an abundance of grain and new wine. That's the in the Psalms. So the King James Version translates grain as corn. And it's actually used by people to show that the scriptures shouldn't be listened to because they're anachronistic. Um, Now, that's ridiculous. That's silly. But I guess the reason it's a pet peeve of mine in this episode is I think it devalues the other good work. And I think a skeptic who thinks this is all silly can hear that. Even a good Catholic who, or a good Christian who wants to like the chosen but isn't quite sure and is worried it's cheesy Christian media, which a lot of us went into this thinking it's going to be cheesy Christian media. Every time it turns into cheesy Christian media, I cringe. And to me, this is one of those times. Um, do your research. There was no corn. And I really wish they would edit that, that out. So that was my least favorite line, and you've gotten my soapbox. Okay, no corn in the Middle East. Um, so Jesus meets Philip, Philip meets Jesus, he calls him, Philip answers, and um, the call, and I like that Jesus references his baptism with Philip. I like that we're getting some of these, um, you know, back, behind the scenes, sort of, we, we got it in last episode, we got it in this episode, some of these these scenes that we haven't seen, that, that you know, we've started mid-scripture and we have references back to it, um, and so we have the call of Philip again. This is John one, so we're a little out of order, and then um, this is a setup now for Nathaniel, right? So Philip says, "I have a friend," and says, "Aria Philippi," and um, so this is the setup for the call of Nathaniel. So um, the next, before we get into Nathaniel. We have a scene about Matthew writing scripture down and um, writing things down so that he could accurately report them. I actually really loved these next two scenes and I was actually surprised that um, a non-Catholic would portray these next two scenes. And I was pleasantly surprised because I think it's a a good, it's accurate, I think it's a good, um, it's a good discussion. So Simon tells Matthew not to write it down out of fear that people will twist Jesus's meaning, that Jesus that will twist his words. Matthew is doing it so that people don't twist his words. He's saying already people are twisting what Jesus says, so I need to write it down. And Simon's worried that it will be used against him, right? And So there's this conflict between Simon and Matthew as if we needed more conflict between Simon and Matthew. So setting aside whether this really would have happened, whether Matthew would have had the resources to do this, um, why would he be able to write everything down while he was following Jesus? I don't honestly know. Setting that aside, I think it poses an interesting discussion about writing it down. Because I think one thing, the reason I wouldn't have expected this from a non-Catholic writer like Dallas is that I think it shows us that people can twist scripture, can twist what is written, and we need something more than the written word. Um, now, Peter says this, which is, it's it's obviously a, a allusion to Peter's letter, where Peter in scripture says, we know that people are twisting Paul's letters and twisting the meaning, okay? So what Peter says here in the chosen is what he says essentially in his own written word in his letter, in Peter, in scripture. Um, but it's a reminder to us that if we only have the written word, we can interpret that word the way we want to interpret it. And we see evidence of this by the fact that there are thousands of Christian denominations. Because as soon as someone interprets something differently, I disagree with you. What are, what are we left to do but go our separate ways, right? And so it reminds us that Jesus actually didn't leave behind a written account. He didn't leave behind a written word. Jesus himself... The only time we ever see Jesus writing is when he scratches in the ground at the woman caught in adultery. We don't even know what he wrote then. Jesus doesn't leave behind a written word. He left behind a church. He left behind men who would interpret that word. And so interestingly enough, this scene leads into the scene about with Peter, about authority and leadership. And Jesus says, someday this will be needed someday we will need leadership and that's exactly what he left behind he didn't write a single word he entrusted his apostles to write that word but he also left behind a church to interpret the written text so yes his apostles eventually wrote down these things but he that's not how he chose to convey his teachings he didn't he could have said i want to dictate word for word what i mean so that no one will twist that meaning so no one will twist my message, but he doesn't. Instead, he leaves behind men to interpret it, and he gives those men the Holy Spirit by which to interpret it at Pentecost. And so I think it's a beautiful scene. He says, you know, so Peter says, when you're away, when you're not around, we don't have an authority to defer to. You're right, Peter, and that's gonna be a problem, but not yet, right? Um, and so Peter says, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting we formalize a structure. And Jesus says, yes, I'll need your leadership in time. He says, one day, Simon, there will need to be more structure. And I see you playing a big part in it. And Peter says, why not more structure today? And Jesus says, because I'm still here. And so I think it's, it's a beautiful testament to um, the, that Jesus didn't leave behind a book. He was the word. And he left behind a church who would produce the, the, the words of Scripture by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Right? These men were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we continue to interpret it in that spirit in which it was written, in the Holy Spirit. So I love I loved that little um, vignette between Matthew and Peter, and then Peter and Jesus just reminding us of, um, of the development of, of Scripture, of the development of the canon of Scripture, and it's really important. Um, spoiler alert! I'm not crazy about this Matthew Mary thing. Um, it's not my favorite, so we're gonna see more of it. But we be, we already saw it in the last episode, and we're seeing more of it now. And it's just I'm not crazy. I'm not one, I'm not crazy about it. I'm not one of those people that's shipping Matthew and Mary. Um, okay, let's talk about Nathaniel. I loved this episode love um, love love loved this episode because and dan mentioned it earlier in the the pre the pre discussion discussion that it made so much sense it made john one make sense and i agree with him um i've heard a lot of scripture scholars give this interpretation that something must have happened we just read john one and we assume that when john goes sorry when um Nathaniel, you know, meets Christ and Christ tells him, um, um, Christ says, you know, how do you know me? Jesus says before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We assume that Philip went, Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree and he's like, come here and follow Christ. We assume that, right? And so then it seems very odd that Nathaniel would have such a profession of faith. I've heard scripture scholars say like there's nothing to indicate he's sitting under the fig tree there jesus could be referring to any number of moments in his life and he could see him as a prophet in that way so i was praying that that's how this would be interpreted and i was very very happy that that's how dallas interpreted it as well um so again nathaniel's depicted here as being from caesarea philippi as being a jew living in a roman city so caesarea philippi named after philip um he he would have been a roman city it would have been a pagan city and we see that nathaniel is an um, an architect that he is proud from the opening scene right he says it like it is right he says something like your incompetence is is making the job harder right he doesn't mince words which we know he's a man without guile right he doesn't he doesn't play games he just says things the way it is um he's proud right he he thinks if everyone does it his way this building's going to turn out and this is a common theme especially with the apostles and the chosen that we must be detached from the way we think things should go christ is calling us to be detached from our own plans and so nathaniel wants everything to go the way he wants it to go he has everything you know set and if everybody would just listen to him everything would be great and it's that no we have to be detached from our own plan right um and so that's a lesson for the apostles in season two and it's a lesson for us so after his failure um it's interesting in the bar you know he admits it's it's pride he admits he's proud but i think it's also important to realize that he admits in the bar and then under the fig tree He wanted to do what God had made him for. That's all he wanted to do. So he wanted to glorify God. Did his pride get in the way? Absolutely. It gets in the way so often, doesn't it? But he really did want to glorify God. And he thought he was doing what God wanted him to. The thing was, he got too attached to what he thought God's will was. He got too attached to his pride. He got too attached to himself, and so when he thought he was serving the Lord, he had to become detached from those plans, and I think that's that's really really important that he had to become detached. He always wanted; he was never building that for his own glory. He was building it for the Lord's glory, and that's what I love about the scene under the fig tree. And Bill, I'm gonna. You're absolutely right. Um, I really liked how he took his plans and burned them up gave them up while keeping his faith that was incredible imagery incredible imagery um first of all his prayer have you ever had those moments where you just ask the lord to speak and he's silent is there anything more frustrating than asking the lord in in perfect faith to give you a sign to, to give you some reassurance, and he's just silent. I thought that was such a dramatic moment. He's there in humble faith. He's there in pain. He's there in suffering. And the Lord is silent. I think all of us have had that moment where we really just need a sign that the Lord exists and he's still silent with us. And it's because he's preparing to do something even greater. But in the moment, it's painful. It's painful it's 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 hard it's that that it's that crucible moment where our faith is really really tested and I think they portrayed that really well Um, and so if you know someone in that time if you know someone going through that time this is a great episode for them to watch and see themselves in Nathaniel's um, shoes he says you know this was done for you and then he prays the barakah right he prays a prayer of praise he, everything is done in faith. That's what's so heartbreaking about Nathaniel, I think. He prays the Shema and then he burns it. It's a Holocaust offering. Now, Holocaust offerings were particular offerings made in the temple where the animal was completely consumed by fire. So it wasn't like um, some of the other offerings, like the cereal offering, where some of it, the sacrifice would be set aside for the priests, or the todah, where you would take part of the sacrifice home and eat it all of the animals burned up in a holocaust offering and that's what he does with his plans right that's what he does with his his gifts his plans that that is a manifestation of everything he's worked for and he's willing to burn it and give it all and yes it's the most important thing he has right and he makes a holocaust of it and he prays psalm 102. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It's a messianic psalm. It was prayed by the Jews as they returned from exile into Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was in ruins. And they prayed that someday, in trust, Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And the psalmist knew he would never see Jerusalem rebuilt. He would never live to see Jerusalem rebuilt, but he prayed in faith and trust that Jerusalem would be glorious again. And that's what Psalm 102 is. This lament, this cry of distress, but that cry of trust that the Lord will be faithful. And that's what he prays. He prays this messianic psalm. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily on the day I should call. What speedily, right? As Bill Stewart pointed out, right? that whole discussion of soon that Jesus brings up. We want answers now. Well, we don't know God's time right? We don't know God's time. And so then he burns it, and if you noticed, he spread ashes. That biblical sign of lament, that biblical sign of grief, of suffering, of penance. Um, I love this character of Nathaniel, because I think he does everything out of glory for God, and then he surrenders it in detachment, and in his suffering, he keeps the faith. And then, of course, we have that brilliant scene Philip tells him to come. He says, what good can come of Nazareth?" come from Nazareth? It's it's basically John 1, 45 to 51, but stretched out. And I really love how this is portrayed very conversationally. Um, it's essentially what we find in John 1:41 to f- 45 to 51, but it's it's fleshed out, it's fleshed out very naturally, right? What good can come from Nazareth, come and see. Some of these are direct quotes from scripture. Um, you know. Christ, Jesus calls him a true Israelite in which there's no guile, right? That's straight from scripture. This is an interesting thing for him to say, because if he's a true Israelite, if, he, if he's a true son of Israel, Israel was full of guile. If you remember, he was always tricking people. Um, he did not tell things the way they were. And so it's a, it's a ironic kind of, is he a true Israelite? Um, but Jesus knows Nathaniel. And I almost can't even say like, The last scene, I think, is just so beautiful and so powerful. Um, It's an amazing moment, right? When you were alone, I did not turn my face from you. I saw you under the fig tree. You can see how Nathaniel has the response he has, right? He called out to the Lord in faith. The Lord seemed to be silent, seemed to hide his face. And Jesus Christ, the face of God, right? I did not hide my face from you. The living face of God is Jesus Christ. And that's who meets him. And that's who calls him. It's so, it's just such a powerful, powerful moment. Uh, This is what could have prompted that reaction. And he's going to build something, right? Just as Peter was called to fish, right? To fish for men jesus calls him to build something great he's going to build the kingdom of god with the other apostles so there we go episode two Um, i'm going to scroll up Um, if you have any other questions or comments i'd love to hear from that i'd love to hear them i'd love to hear your feedback Um, jackie absolutely like there's this obvious repentance that nathaniel manifests and he, he acknowledges his sinfulness and he leaves it to God, right? He, he gives everything over to God. It's just really powerful. Um, yeah. So any, any other questions, any thoughts before we wrap up? Yes so jesus so so mom says again youtube comments come a little later than i'm not seeing them in real time right there's a little bit of a a a drag um and so um mom said as well like jesus acknowledges nathaniel wanted to do he wanted to build and now he will get to build he'll get to build something even greater he'll get to make a name for the lord right he'll get to to do exactly what he wanted to do with his gifts it's just completely different than what, the, what he thought. And we see that, right? We saw it with Matthew, right? Like, don't try to figure it out. Just be. And so often we have the Lord's plan sketched out for him. And the Lord laughs. And the Lord gives us an even greater plan and says, you thought you were going to do this? I have a much greater plan for you and that might be confusing to us that might be confusing to our family to our friends but all that matters is that we are close to the lord and that we do his will and that's all that matters right when a woman enters the convent like the world thinks that's crazy but she's doing what the lord wills and she's building something great um so this is this is really great. So Dan points out, we talked about this a little bit in the last season, um, is the chosen, the chosen, I think, the title, the chosen, I think, refers to three things. I think it refers to the chosen people. I think it refers to Christ as the Lord's, as God's chosen. And I think it uh, um, refers to the apostles and to us, four things. Um, so I think there's mul- multi- multiple levels of what The Chosen refers to. Um, they've made it very clear that while this is the first multi-season show of, about Christ, it really is about those who follow him which is why we don't see christ till the be- end of the first episode right he doesn't play very heavily in the first two episodes because ultimately this is about his followers which is why i think ultimately it's about us because we're not supposed to watch this as spectators we're supposed to watch it and see ourselves in the rise and fall and the the mistakes and the everything uh, the characters in this um Do I think something's going on with Matthew or Mary, or is it implied? I think it's implied. Um, I sensed it, Dallas in an episode, I think it was after this episode, or it might've been after the first episode, um, indicated somebody was shipping some other person with Mary, and I forget who it was. They wanted someone else to be with Mary. Um, Maybe Jude, maybe? And he was like, oh, there might be someone else. And if you look carefully, you'll t- you'll know. And so then I started paying attention, and I think it's Matthew. And I hope it doesn't happen. But again, um, I think we have to remember that this isn't a Catholic portrayal, and that that it's all just his interpretation, and he can interpret it however he wants. But I won't I won't be very happy. Uh, best scene of the season, I agree. I think this is one of the strongest scenes of the entire season. Well, first episode was my favorite episode, but this is my second favorite episode because of that scene um Christina it struck oddly that the whole conversation with Nathaniel took place in the middle of the street that is kind of funny I didn't really think about it um maybe it's just like yeah I don't know I didn't really think about that that's funny um Matthew Mary interactions is more maternal I hope uh, yeah that would be great I hope um Ooh, yeah, Bill, that was a great quote that I didn't bring out. I love how people are remembering individual quotes. So when Matthew and and Thaddeus are talking, um, I called him Jude, but that's Thaddeus. Matthew and Thaddeus, um, at first writing it seemed like a chore, and then it became a habit, and Thaddeus says, yes, like prayer. I think that's a great insight, right? Um, Those little little, um, habits that we build at first seem like chores. Um, It seems like a chore to pray. But as we pray and as we enter into that habit, it becomes um, more natural and more com- more natural in conversation. Um, she's like the den mother, Mary Magdalene. I like that, Christina. Um, do I think they will ever show more of Jesus actually sitting and teaching the apostles? I do. Um, I hope. There's a lot. I mean, we still haven't covered any really. We've covered two of the parables, but um, I think it's going to be hard not to, 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 talk about the sower I mean he clearly explains the sower to the to the apostles rather than to the crowds so I do think we the next few seasons will be more teaching um I think they just really wanted to set up this character development again because the show really is about the apostles and we'll see a lot of that next week um on Sunday when we talk about episode three so um i do but i think for it to be good tv i agree with jackie i think it will be more active you know like he wasn't just teaching the parable of the lost sheep he taught it in a conversation and then we saw illustrated with the bad samaritan melek so i think they have to be really creative on how they present which will play in later in the season how they present and i don't want to spoil it because i know some of you are watching episode by episode but how they'll present certain teachings we might disagree with the interpretation. And part of it is for, um, how do you unpack these teachings without it becoming a lecture show, right? Without Jesus, just like reading Matthew five, like that's going to be boring. So how do we tease out some of this teaching in a way that we can watch on TV and not just, I'll just go read scripture. Right. Um, and so I think it will be more active in that way um yes christina just watch one episode at a time nobody give any spoilers to christina um and they are always walking and talking it's because they have a lot they have a lot of ground to cover it's hard to walk from you know cesarea philippi to 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 capernaum um it's a long bus ride i've done it it's a long bus ride so okay so that's it we will wrap up thank you for joining us for episode two come back on Sunday when we'll look at episode three, which is an entire episode about a single verse of scripture. So there's lots of controversy. This was a very controversial episode in Catholic circles, and I can't wait to discuss it all with you. So see you Sunday. God bless.